Good evening and welcome to the Widdershins Yarn. My name is Stevie. And I'm Lilius. And we'll be your guides as we wander off the beaten track and into the queer, crooked corners of the mind. This podcast is an exploration into the folklore, aesthetics and social psychological impact of the horror genre. And tonight, it's Halloween! <laughs> They're coming to get you, Barbara. Happy Halloween, Lilius. Happy Halloween, Stevie. So I'm drinking my tea at the same time. <laughs> I should have drunk okay. this before we recorded, but no. <laughs> no, I think that's fine. I think, it, you know, it's nice to have a hot beverage and a cold night such as this. Um, do you have any special plans for Halloween? Um, I do. I am going to be watching and hosting the Tartan Unicorn Burlesque Trick or Tease Night. By the time this goes up, it will be happening, but you can still get tickets for the week after it as well. Um, it's on Friday the 30th and Saturday the 31st of October, uh, and it is a online burlesque drag extravaganza with some incredible performers from all around the world. Excellent. I mean, well, I know what I'm going to be watching. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it is really exciting. So yeah, I'm looking, I'm glad that we can obviously, you know, plug that for you guys, which is nice and exciting. <laughs> um, cool. So, obviously with it being Halloween night, um, tonight I thought that we'd uh, read some ghost stories. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, last week, uh, in the very first episode, uh, we talked about um, Hayaku Monogatari, which is the night of 100 tales. Um, and in this kind of parlor game that was played during the Edo period in Japan, uh, people would gather in a house, um, they would set up two rooms, and they would essentially tell each other spooky stories. And every time uh, someone told one of their spooky stories, they would go through to the room they had set up with all these candles, 100 candles, and then the storyteller would put a candle out. And apparently, once all the candles were blown out, something supernatural was supposed to happen. So, what better way to spend Halloween than, you know, trying to recreate this on a much smaller scale? <laughs> much, much, much smaller scale. <laughs> a much, much, much smaller scale. So, yeah, so what we thought that we would do is we would uh, tell ten stories. Um, I have five stories, Lilius has five stories. Uh, these stories have been um, submitted by uh, some lovely people on the social medias. Like what the kids say, is that what the kids say? <laughs> I would not know, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me neither. I'm like, what? No, I have no idea. But yeah, so basically um, I've got a call on social media asking people to submit to me uh, some of their personal ghost stories. And I have to say that I've been absolutely overwhelmed by the response uh, that I got. Um, I only needed 10, and I ended up with far more than 10. Um, I know, I'm just, I'm just totally like blown away by the amount that were sent to me. So what I did, because I received so many, was I just literally stuffed all of them in like a hat and I picked randomly. So I picked 10 <laughs> random stories. Um, so if you're listening and you submit me a story, 
um, and you don't hear it tonight, please don't panic. I will use all of them at some point, because I want to use all the material that I can. Um, but yeah, so tonight the stories are randomly selected. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I am really excited. The only story which isn't uh, someone's own personal story is uh, one that was written specifically for the podcast by uh, the artist Noah Wilson. So I'm super looking forward to sharing that kind of at the end. That's so, exciting too. I know, it is super exciting. <laughs> so this is how this is going to go. Um, I have set up five candles and I have darkened the room, so I'm pretty much in semi-darkness and I'm not going to lie, I'm slightly terrible. <laughs> um, I'm a Buddhist practitioner, so before we did this, I did like a little protection ritual with one of my Dharma palms. <laughs> Literally, like, let's That's just so cover cool. all bases. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet, though. You messaged me just beforehand as well, being like, don't want to don't wanna overreact to anything, but, you know, could you wear something protective tonight? I was like, yeah, sure. Put my docks on, that's the best. <laughs> like, yeah, ready for anything in my Doc Martens. It's all right. <laughs> exactly. So I, th- I, think, I think we've got it covered. <laughs> I really hope we've got it covered. Um, I also did a little witchy ritual to the goddess Hikate as well, just to be like, I know you're like the queen of the dead, so, you know, <laughs> just, just an FYI, can you be on my side tonight, please? <laughs> just in case, that's cover your bases. Just- yeah, cover all my bases. Um, uh, so yeah, so just to clarify, what's going to happen is uh, I have split the stories that I've picked like down the middle. So I'm taking five, Lilius is going to take five, um, and we have each set up in our spaces five candles, and the room is very dark. So what's going to happen is um, after we each tell one of these stories, we're going to blow out one of the candles, and I have with me... Um, a tiny, very gothic-looking handheld mirror. So, I'm gonna look in the mirror every time I finish one of my stories, and then uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I've just, I, there was a moment I was like, oh, I forgot about a mirror, and then I realised that we're we're on Zoom, so we're basically talking to each other through a mirror anyway. That's actually a very good point. So if I see anything on Zoom, <laughs> I'm gonna absolutely The light share. flickering in the background, that is my Wi-Fi box, by the way. So if that goes red, we do actually have a problem. Because then no Wi-Fi. <laughs> That's the Excellent. spookiest thing I've got going on around here. <laughs> Excellent. Lovely. Um so Lilius, would you like to tell our first tale of the evening, please? Ooh, sure thing. So the first one is by Sophie. And her handle is at weirdsof136, and it will be linked below in the video on YouTube as well if you want to go and check her out. So I'll start with the possible sleep paralysis hallucination. A lot of my experiences happened in my main childhood home, a little bungalow. Nothing too old or seemingly unusual, just a normal home apart from all the weird experiences that happened. I had a metal bunk bed. It had a chair and desk underneath and I slept on the top. It was so high I couldn't sit up straight otherwise my head would hit the ceiling. I must have been 13-ish when this happened. I woke up in the middle of the night needing the toilet. The bathroom was right across the, was right across the hallway so I climbed down and stepped out only just to stop. I don't know what made me stop but I just did. I looked to my right down the hallway and where our li- living room door was the door had glass panels so you could see through. When I looked... Standing there was a tall girl with a completely blank face. 
She had long black hair as if it was greasy or wet, and in a light grey nightdress. I think it was white, but just faded. It felt like a long time I was just standing there, when it must have only been a few seconds. Then something clicked, and I lunged into the bathroom and slammed the door, absolutely terrified. I stayed in there for half an hour just trying to be okay. I didn't want to wake my parents, my mum hates creepy stuff, and my dad had to work. I finally got the courage to go back to my room, looking back to see nothing there. I know a sleep hallucination or sleep paralysis might have been the cause, but a few things made me question this. One, I've never had any experience similar again. If I see something just as I'm waking up, it's only there for a second, not a prolonged time. Two, the climb down my bunk bed usually woke me up a fair amount, which makes me question such a clear image. Three, the girl was behind the door, and I saw her through the glass panels. Surely if I had an hallucination, it would have been in front of the door. But maybe that's just the power of the mind. Ooh. Do I blow a candle out now? Yeah, blow a candle out. Oh, your room just like, it's like, it's like the room shivered and then got darker. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> oh my goodness, that is such a striking story. Mm. I love this one especially because I've had so many um, sleep issues and hypnopompic hallucinations and stuff like that, that I know that feeling so well. Like... Um, mine, I feel like, are so easily explained by that and stuff like that, but, you know, that thing of, wait, what? So, <laughs> so for the people listening, do you want to ex kind of explain very briefly what, a, 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 like, this form of hallucination is? A uh, hypnopompic hallucination is when you hallucinate when you're waking up. Um, and that can be very different for very for different people. Same as a, a hypnagogic hallucination is when you hallucinate when you're falling asleep. So, um... You can have purely auditorial ones, auditory ones, or mm -hmm. you can have visual ones, or they can even be kinetic, like kinesthetic, the touchy ones. Okay. <laughs> you so can you even have can ones like that. You feel it in your body, you mean? Yeah, some of them can be, can be feelings and stuff as well. Oh, that's yeah, we we should do a whole episode on that at some point because yeah. I got some stories for you. <laughs> okay, no, that yeah, no, that sounds really good. Um, it's interesting as well because the apparition that she talks about actually reminds me of what we were speaking about last week with the Yure, you know, mm. this kind of figure with the long, greasy or wet hair. Um, it's interesting actually because I was watching um, on Netflix, there's a series called Unexplained Mysteries and they've got their new season which has just oh. come up. And I, I was watching I love the, that. oh it's so good, it's so good. Um, I was watching the fourth episode, which was talking all about the tsunami mm -hmm. in Japan and how apparently after the tsunami, there was so much more um, ghost activity. Like people saw oh ghosts, they saw family members, they had strange encounters. Taxi drivers were apparently picking up people who disappeared within their cabs. Like it was all, all really, really like ugh, freaky. So. Yeah, I don't know, it's just it's, it's that story kind of reminds me of like almost like a traditional Japanese ghost story and it freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> but um, thank you, Sophie, so much for sharing that. Um, yeah. Your turn? Jeez, it's my turn. I'm <laughs> just trying to prolong the inevitable, really. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. So, okay, so this story, 
I, I think the story is, is actually kind of really beautiful. It's less scary and more heartwarming, I guess. So this was sent in by a woman called Jane, who I know and who is absolutely lovely. Um, okay, you ready? I'm not sure if this is what you're looking for, but here goes. When I was a student nurse, I cared for a man who was very ill and had separating broken skin from his shoulders right down his back. He was in excruciating pain, especially when being moved, and that was in the days before fancy bed and good analgesia. Analgesia? I don't even know that's worked. <laughs> I'm assuming some kind of painkiller, um, which was, I think, 1979. When he was being moved, we had to be careful, and some folk were more rough than others. I was always really careful and spent a lot of time with him. I went on my weekend off and went home. On the Saturday night, I had a really weird experience. I woke up, and at the side of my bed, I saw a vision of this man just head and shoulders, and he had a white gown on. He looked just the same as I normally saw him. He said he wanted to thank me for all that I had done for him, for being careful when lifting him, especially because some were, you know, really rough. And then he just disappeared. When I went back to the ward on Monday, I saw there was someone in his bed and asked where he was. I was told that he had passed away on the Saturday night. I spoke to someone about it who said it was probably his spirit. I thought it was just a dream, but it was too much of a coincidence. I always remember his face clearly, even today. <laughs> right, first candle. Wow, yeah. I love stories like that because I feel like... Um... So many people have that same story. Do you know what I mean? That so many people have that have similar experiences of that. That mm. um, is one of the ones that I always like to hear. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I, I think it's one of those ones that it's it has like a universalness to it. Well, it's it's nice, you know, to kind of have that counterbalance. That you know, some people who have you know who have these kinds of encounters will believe they've seen something in some form. It's not always that terrifying experience sometimes it can actually be emotional mm. and pleasant it kind of reminds me about this time when i was a teenager and i was getting the infamous 95 bus <laughs> that home <laughs> from st andrews which used to take fucking hours and it was horrible. and uh, it was really late at night i think it was the last bus back home and i got talking to a woman on the bus who turned out she was a nurse and um she we got talking about all this kind of stuff how like as a nurse, she'd seen so many strange things, um, strange encounters, experiences with people dying, people dying usually at the same sort of time on a ward. So she said like 3 a.m. was apparently a time when people would die. It just it just seemed to be one of those kind of, I don't know, gateway times <laughs> when people would die. But she had all these amazing stories about um, what she experienced as a nurse. So I'm not actually surprised that we had, you know, a submission like that. So, um, yeah, if you're listening, Jane, thank you so much for that. Thank you for giving that to us. 
Also, I don't know whether to say or not because I don't want to speak you out, but I got spooked out for a moment because you totally froze on camera for a good second and I was like, oh no. <laughs> But that, that, that's not unusual in the land of Zoom, so... It's not unusual in the land of Zoom. <laughs> you know, we experience technical difficulties, that just is, that's just par for the course, I think. I wasn't going to say anything, and then it was like, nah, let's build up that atmosphere anyway. <laughs> no, you need to tell me. You need okay. to tell me. <laughs> oh no, was that over your shoulder? <laughs> Ah, oh, no, we accidentally summoned the old ones again. No, shit. You can't let the gays do anything. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Do you want to read us our next story? Okay, so... Our next story is sent in by Christine. Cool. Ghost stories. Well, it's not much of a story, but it's interesting to me because I believe it completely. My mother swears that many years ago, when she was hoovering the hall, she's always hoovering, so it has to be someone when she was hoovering, a black cat jumped straight through the external wall of the house, right in front of her. She always thought it was Blackie, the cat we had when I was a baby. I'm at a loss to explain why the cat would do that. For instance, there wasn't a blocked up doorway on the spot where it appeared, but anyway. I have almost no other details, I'm afraid, except that this was a 1930s built house in the centre of Cardiff, so no long history of ghosts or anything like that. And a very everyday setting. It was just an isolated incident over very quickly. The cat jumped in from the garden and faded away. Not at all scary. My mum was delighted to see her. Oh, I it's love so cute! <laughs> I, I really love that one because, again, it's not a really spooky experience. But it is one of those things where, because it's not a spooky experience, I'm more inclined to believe it. Yeah. Not that totally. I want to question anybody's experience and stuff, but because I'm such a sceptical person, that for me, when I hear something like that, I'm like, oh, well, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, oh, I should do my candle, eh? Okay. Yeah, do your candle. I thought that I was about to drop that on my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a ghost story. Please, please don't Scary story on ever. Fire. <laughs> I'm so clumsy though, I'm really scared I might. <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're doing fine. At least you're not mispronouncing things like me. Al <laughs> analgesia? Analgesia? Anal oh, I will. I stumble over my words all the time. Yeah, I think for people listening, this is probably a very rustic, <laughs> I'm going to call it a <laughs> rustic podcast. So, um. Yeah. Your turn. <laughs> my turn. My turn. Okay. Okay, let's go with this one. So this one was submitted to me by a man called Thomas. And um, I think he must be a writer because it's written in this beautifully kind of poetic kind of way. Uh, he's not giving me any other details other than it's called The Spectacle Case. So. You'll not believe this, my father said, sitting down for a an unusually late lunch. I thought of all the hold-ups you could have as a caretaker in a large block of flats, but his look was a different one that day, as if he dusted his face in ash. 
I need a hot cup of tea, he said, his eyes checking every corner of the room. What happened? I asked. He took a moment or two to return to me. You know how I don't like to see people upset? Yes, I replied, though you do too much for them anyway. I, well, I was cleaning the phone box at the bottom of the stairs next to the lift when I found a spectacle case on the phone book shelf. He was still a bit wild-eyed, but the better for talking. There was a pair of old glasses inside the case, unusual frames, and a faded card with the man's name and address. He just lived down the road, so I thought I'd drive round and drop them off. You know, it could be an old man in distress. I sat back in my chair, trying to square the ordinariness of the story with the unease emanating from my father. So, I found the house, a nice wee cottage. A woman came to the door, barely able to walk, apprehensive. My father leaned forward, steadying himself. I said, I found something I think belongs to your husband. She froze. I showed her the spectacle case, the card inside. She didn't speak, but kept looking at the glasses, then at me, then back at the glasses. I told her where I'd found them and that I couldn't see anybody stuck like that. My father's eyes blurred over, his head slowly shaking as he continued. Then she screamed, short and painful, like an animal caught in a trap. It can't be, she cried. You're wrong. She grabbed the spectacle case and pulled me into the house, holding the case as if it was a torch. She stood me in front of the bureau. Wait till I find the key, she said. She scrabbled through the drawers of another desk until she came up with this thin iron key. Here it is. This'll prove you're wrong. I could see my father hesitate as he relived the frenzy behind his unfolding words. All that I kept of him is in this bureau, she said. No one's been in it for the last 15 years. Then she unlocked it, getting more hysterical, waving the spectacle case at me. Where's his glasses? Where's his glasses? They were meant to be locked away. My father fell back into his chair, silent, his eyes tired and watery. I stood up and walked over to the window, where the sea stared back, grey and ominous. <laughs> I like that, that was really nice. Yeah, I like that as well. It's, it's, well, actually, hold on. Oh, candle, candle, candle. <laughs> candle. Is that four candles down? Yeah, four candles. Four candles down, yeah. Four candles. Instead of night handles, four candles. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like I, like, I really like that story because there's almost like an ambiguity to it. You know, what, what was going on there was, you mm. know, like, she's like the, the woman in the story is almost kind of ambiguous herself. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. What was going on? What was happening? Ah! I don't know, but it's terrifying. <laughs> oh, you frozen again. Oh no, you just oh, froze. Oh, there we go. You're back. <laughs> oh no, you just froze there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Zoom connection has never been scarier. 
Okay, well, I go. Okay, yeah, you'll go. Okay. You go. So, this one's been sent in by Luna, and they have a photography account on Instagram called Tombstone, Tombstone Tourist 666, which is a brilliantly fitting name, um, and that'll be linked below as well. Yeah, they're an amazing photographer, um, so well, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about them at the end, but anyway, go ahead. Cool. No worries. Any dark or creepy stories to tell? Gods, where do I begin? Well, when I was wee, my granny was a great teller of creepy stories, bless her. And one night, we were sitting in front of the coal fire, and she told us about the night my dad was drinking down the Perth Road with a bunch of friends. He was totally bladdered, and decided to walk home through Balgay, en route to Drybra, where my gran lived. This was before I was born, apparently. On walking through Balgay, he became aware of a strange footstep behind him, kind of a thump-scrape kind of noise. He looked around, but there was no one there. This continued all the way through the park, and he was getting a bit worried by this time. He began to pick up his pace as best he could, and in his inebriated state, but still the strange footsteps continued all the way through Loch Yee and right up to my gran's front door when they disappeared suddenly. He got in and told my gran what had happened, and she told him that would have been your dad, making sure you got home okay, as, he'd been, as he had been carrying a flick knife in his pocket. My granddad had passed years before. He had a limp and scraped his boot, and he walked, apparently. I was well creeped out. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I mean, it's nice that, you know, scary relatives want to look after you. Scary relatives, but relatives who will become scary. Because the thing scary. is, though, I don't know which is scarier in that situation. A ghost making thump and scraping noises, or some drunk random with a knife in his pocket in Balgay, to be honest with you. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd take my chances with the ghost there. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> Dry bar is a bit rough. God, yeah. Oh my god, okay, candle, candle. Oh, candle, 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 alright. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just filming faces to you. The, okay. I'm filming a little bit of this for the vlog, and at the moment it's so dark you can barely make out my face. <laughs> you, actually, that's a that's a point. Uh, do you want to um, tell us just a, very quickly, just a little bit about your vlog, just so people can, you know? Oh, uh, I have a YouTube account called Bujol Cult, the same as my Instagram, um, and on it I do a whole host of different things. I do studio vlogs. Um, me and you do the Tower Reads podcast, which is up there right now. Occasionally I make music videos for some reason, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, <laughs> Starring me. And <laughs> I, I do monthly plan with me videos and stuff as well about bullet journaling and all that kind of stuff. My camera's overheated and switched off now. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's all happening. But yeah, no, um, thanks Lil, it's just good because I want people to obviously check you out. So. Oh, thank you. That sounds a bit wrong, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Check me out. Check you out, love. I'm pure on the YouTubes now, hen. Hi. <laughs> Sorry, the your turn. Un- <laughs> we are the most un like people you'll ever meet. I'm just here to lower the tone. And you do it so well. <laughs> anyway, so I'm stalling. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this next story is from Daniel. And... Uh, Actually, just to say quickly, uh, Daniel has a fantastic podcast, which is called uh, Who the Fuck Is? And, uh, 
That's a perfect um, name. I know, right? And apparently if it's all about film, it's all about talking shit about Nicolas Cage. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like it's really, really good. And it's um it's with a bunch of cool guys and it sounds really good, so please check Daniel's podcast out. Who the fuck it is and you can find it at um buzzsprout.com. Ooh. Yes. So yeah, that's a little plug for Daniel. But yeah, so this is Daniel's story. It's a nice wee one, it's quite cute actually. It's Hi Stephen, I have a ghost story that's been in my family for years. Okay, so this would have been in the 1920s, I believe. The story is about my great granddad on my mother's side. He had five sisters, and his mum died when he was a teenager in the early 1900s. So he was roughly in his 30s when the story takes place. One of his sisters became very ill, and it was very, and it was clear that she didn't have long left. My great-grandfather was sitting with his sister on her deathbed, holding her hand, when he saw his mum come through the wall and approach the bed. His mum placed her hand on his sister, as if she was telling her it was time to go. My great-aunt died not long after this event. I like that. I know. It's, again, it's, it's that kind of emotional family connection it's mm. almost like you know the things that people experience in uh, near-death experiences and things like that right okay hold on where's my candle <laughs> right i'm gonna blow this out but not blow a bunch of wax over my computer screen like i did last that time. is the goal <laughs> did you do that last time i did i, I can see it over <laughs> my screen I'm like, oh, okay so here we go i only have two candles left i'm starting to get slightly worried <laughs> same cool I also just realised how silly my face is, just floating around in the dark on Zoom. <laughs> to be fair, it's also made me realise how big my face is. <laughs> like, do what I do, sit slightly further back, it's okay. Well, now I look like a floating head, so that's not attractive in the slightest. Hey, oh. My turn? <laughs> yes, your turn. <laughs> so this is sent in by Veronica Groka. Groka? Yes, I think so. So this is sent in by Veronica Croker. When I was 17 or 18 and living in my parents' house in rural Austria, I had a series of nightly visions that at the time unsettled and thrilled me to equal degrees. The pattern was always the same. I would wake up in the middle of the night for no apparent reason and see a figure in my room as distinctly as everything else around. It was clear to me each time that I was not dreaming. And after a while, I would simply not go back to sleep again. The first of these visions was a human skeleton sitting in a chair on top of my clothes from the previous day, which I had thrown on there before going to sleep. It was perfectly still, gleaming faintly in the moonlight that was coming through the curtains, and seemed altogether quite dead and non-threatening. I watched it intently for a long time to make sure that I wasn't just making up patterns out of the heaps of clothes, but no matter how I looked at it, it was most definitely a skeleton. Hanging on the chair in a somewhat awkward, slouching position. At some point, I must have simply dropped off to sleep. Needless to say, when I woke up in the morning, there was no trace of a skeleton or anything else out of the ordinary in my room. I puzzled over what I had seen and tried to come up with explanations. Our house wasn't old, and even though we were used to hearing lots of strange animal noises at night because of our close proximity to the forest, it seemed unlikely to me that the house itself could actually be haunted. 
Having been forced to watch my way through the register of 80s horror classics by a best friend who was a great fan of the genre, the best I could come up with was to speculate that our house was located on some kind of ancient graveyard and that one of its occupants had, for whatever reason, decided to come for a visit. Then, a few days later, my theory was destroyed by a second vision that didn't seem in any way related to the first one. I had asked my mother to sleep in my room and, my, and was myself sleeping on a mattress on the floor when, again, I woke up suddenly and seemingly without cause. I didn't know what time it was, but it was dark and my mother was clearly asleep, her breathing coming deeply and peacefully from the direction of the bed. About a metre and a half from where I was lying, there was a small, solid figure standing on the floor, silhouetted against the lighter surface of my wardrobe. It was slowly raising its head, which I could see in profile. Unlike the skeleton, which had reflected the moonlight, this figure was too dark to make out clearly. The only thing I could tell for sure was that it seemed to have a mohawk, and its mouth, which was slightly open, was full of thin, spiky teeth. While the skeleton hadn't scared me, this creature pretty much terrified me. For a moment, I debated with myself whether I should try to touch it, but threw that idea out very quickly on account of the teeth, and decided to pretend to be asleep instead. Lying stock still and breathing shallowly, I waited for the creature to go away, and in the process, fell asleep again. I didn't have to wait long for a third creature to make its appearance. The setup was almost identical to that of the previous time, but once again, what I saw and the effect it had on me were quite different. Again, I woke up on my mattress with my mother snoring away in the bed, and again, I saw a figure more or less where the goblin creature had been, except that where the goblin had been small and dark, this was huge and almost see-through. It was a giant made entirely of big square blocks of stone that seemed to be looking down at me, almost from the height of the ceiling, perhaps noticing me watching it. It started walking towards me. Since this figure somehow felt harmless, despite its height, I wanted to quickly reach out and touch it, to find out once and for all whether there was anything of substance there that could be felt as well as seen. Except I couldn't raise my hand. In fact, I couldn't move at all. I was, I found, completely paralysed, so that all I could do was breathe and blink. Helpless in my immobilised state, I had to watch the giant get close, only to fall asleep again before either of us could attempt any form of contact. Even though two of the three apparitions hadn't worried me at the time, the fact that I had seen them at all and that I couldn't explain them started to gnaw at me. Did they want something? And if so, what? And was there anything real about them? Or were they just the product of my overactive imagination? Or even darker, was I going mad? Was I having hallucinations? Were they ever going to go away? There must have been a gap in the visions, because by the time I had the next one, I remember, I had moved into a different room in the house. My brother hadn't taken over the haunted one, seemingly without any ill effects. I had taken to sleeping with my lights on when I woke up one night from a particularly strange dream to find a tall, dark figure standing over my bed, a scythe in one hand, its face hidden by the hood of its long cloak. 
before I could decide on whether to react in any way, or even whether to be scared or not, the figure raised its hand with the scythe in it and brought it down on me fast, sending me back off to sleep in an instant. The next figure that appeared turned out to be the last one. When I woke up that time, once more of the lamp on my bedside table still on, there was a man standing beside my bed. He was dressed in an old-fashioned uniform that made him look like he had come from around the time of the French Revolution. White trousers and waistcoat, jacket, sash, tricorn or bicorn hat on his hat head, and, I think, a rapier at his side. Though I couldn't say that for sure. I couldn't describe his face now, but I think that his hair was dark, and I distinctly remember that there were gold trimmings on his uniform. In any case, he was standing there with his arm outstretched, holding a big paper scroll out to me that was tied with a cord with a wax seal dangling off of it. As with the stone giant, I tried my hardest to reach out my hand, but found I simply couldn't move. After that, the vision stopped, as suddenly and inexplicably as they had started. On one occasion, when I was already at university, I had an auditory hallucination after having just woken up in the morning, during which the voice of a university friend of mine was moving through my room towards my bed, but I never saw any pictures again. And after a while, I stopped thinking about the whole thing. Years later, I was standing in the quadrangle outside the department at my second university with some other students and one of our professors having a chat. I can't remember how or why, but at one point in the conversation, our professor told us that sometimes, in the state between waking and sleeping, she would see things that weren't really there. It's called hypnagogic hallucinations, she said. They can happen when your brain isn't sure whether it's asleep or awake. So there, finally, was an explanation for the strange nightly visitations of my youth. They were pictures conjured up by my unconscious mind and superimposed into reality, like dreams spilling over into waking consciousness. Knowing that this was a thing, and that other, saner people had them too, instantly made them more comprehensible. The first three visions were easily explained by the consumption of pop culture at the time. Skeletons, of course, are a staple of the horror genre, whereas the goblin bore strong resemblance to monsters from films such as Gremlins or Critters, and the stone giant might well have been inspired from the rock biter from the never-ending story. As for the other two, everyone knows the Grim Reaper, and most of my generation, I suspect, have at some point seen some costume drama about the French Revolution. Still, part of the mystery remains, why did I have those visions at that particular time in my life, and only then? Was there something my unconscious was trying to tell me? All of this happened many years ago now, but I sometimes still wonder what I would have found out had I been able to reach out and open that scroll. Wow. That is stunning. I'm gonna do my candle. Hold on. <laughs> Whoa, I mean, so, I mean, as someone who has obviously had these kinds of experiences, what was that like reading that? Intra yeah, interest. It's really, it's always really good hearing other people's accounts of the same thing because at the time, I seriously thought that I had lost it, or uh, I think I said in the last one as well that was the the doorway between dimensions or crazy, one or the other, <laughs> no in between, just just those two options. Um, so it is always really interesting hearing other people's accounts of it, and it's 
it's honestly kind of shocking the amount of people that you meet who have had some kind of similar experience. I remember mentioning it to a lecturer when I was at college doing drama and like he was instantly, oh, I used to see fire on the ceiling when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, it's really common in kids. He was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like everything fell into place in his head. He was like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> and it, Years of trauma. <laughs> suddenly erased. <laughs> I mean, not quite, but like, but it's, it's, really, it's really interesting seeing how common it is. And it is super common for kids. Though this is, they were saying there were about seventeen, eighteen, like later teens, so mm -hmm. less common. But for for little kids, it is really, really common. Jeez, wow. Well, I mean, again, that story just sends shivers down my spine. I mean, waking up and the fucking Grim Reaper there, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Stick a fork in me, I'm done. <laughs> God, okay. Right, we'll move on. Cool, so, God, we're almost getting there. Uh, this story is from Catherine, who is from London, and she has titled it First Day at a New School, Hornchurch, Essex, 1963. It was my first day at St. Mary's Primary School, and I had arrived late. A nun, resplendent in flowing robes, hurriedly ushered me unceremoniously into the playground to meet the others. I stood by her side only for a few seconds as my arrival was announced to a group of children who seemed to be expecting me. Boys and girls of about my own age quickly encircled me, excitedly firing questions that I did my best to answer. Then, from within the midst of an ever-expanding group of children, came an authoritarian voice declaring, Take her to see the murder. By this time, the throng had manoeuvred me to the boundary fence at the far end of the small playground. Pushing, pulling, and pointing upwards, they instructed me to look up at the girl that had been pushed through the window. I can recall... I can still recall how stunned I felt as my eyes were drawn skyward to a first-floor window of a seemingly empty old house that lay just beyond that high wire fence. To my astonishment, I saw an impossible shape, as if skillfully carved out of the centre of the glass. It seemed like the perfectly formed outline of a body and a head. It was the form of a small child. She was pushed through the window, a young boy pronounced, as the palpable mood of the crowd changed, just as the playground bell rang. I held back whilst the rest of the children dispersed. I could not take my eyes away from that awful sight. As I stared, stunned at the image of the space where a little girl's fate had been decreed, I saw something move in that room. Standing just a little way back from the window, I clearly saw a young boy of about 12 looking down at me. A small girl, perhaps about my own age, was standing in front of him. I felt the boy was protecting the little girl, his hand resting lightly upon her shoulders. Occasionally I would catch a glimpse of this boy at the far end of the school corridor, 
but he always disappeared each time I ran to meet him. Sadly, the little girl was never with him, and I never saw her again. That's scary, that one. That is so oh. scary. Right, okay. Candle time. <laughs> I think I think that one's extra scary because it's got that um that slice of real world horror. If you know what I mean, mm. that mm. that kind of what do you mean like the the tie to like an accident or the the murder? As the yeah, say. yeah, yeah. That it's got that extra edge to it. Well, I mean, the thing is as well. I mean. You and I have, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a drama teacher. You've talked with me on many occasions. We know how macabre kids can be. <laughs> they are dark. <laughs> <laughs> we were some of those dark kids. <laughs> I mean, I was that dark child, you know. Mm. I mean, recently, like, well, well, not recently, at Christmas time, some of the kids I was teaching, the scene where they stabbed Santa to death, and I was like, uh... <laughs> Okay, guys. Everything that's, okay at home? Yeah, great, cool. Yeah, that's, that's maybe, uh, maybe not do that. Maybe not advocate violence in the class. <laughs> but yeah, the kids are dark, so yeah. Shit, man. Spooksies. Spooksies. Okay. This is my last one, and then okay. I am plunged into darkness. God, okay. Okay. Uh. So this one's sent in by Caitlin, and their handle is at Katie Reed, and then an underscore, and it'll be linked below. I can see my great-gran at times. Her hand comes out of nowhere to grab mine, but when I look, there's nothing there. This all started back in December 2018. I was sitting on my bed, getting ready for my Christmas party, when I saw a figure come from the doorframe. The closer the figure got to me, the more I could see details. They had a suit on but I could only see from their shoulders down. They came around the bed and reached out to grab me. When I say I ran, I scrambled like a drug dealer who's ha just had the FBI burst the door down. <laughs> the whole thing really shook me. Then I saw this hand with large cuffs and silver cufflinks trying to grab my leg. I stood at the bottom of the stairs and when I looked back, I saw the dark figure move quickly to another room. Since then, I have seen hands trying to touch me occasionally. When I look up, they are no longer there, but before this happens, I sense them. The atmosphere drops. It's like I'm in a bubble and I can't hear people I'm around well. I went to a psychic about me seeing the ghostly hands. I didn't mention it to him, but he brought it up and said it was my great-grandparents. After a while, I started to see a figure behind him and mentioned it. He told me it was his spirit guide. He said I have the capability to become a psychic and enter into the spiritual world. But I can't deal with my own grand trying to touch me, so I think I'll pass. <laughs> so cute! Oh, a candle. That's that's like a mix of cute slash terrifying. Yeah, I just if any hands are trying to touch you without consent, I'm just like, no, that's terrifying. <laughs> In real life and ghostly. Mm mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no get, get your get your spooky digits away. I'll have none of this. Oh, I've got a... Okay, next. Blow out your candle. Oh, God, it's really dark. Oh, my God, it's so dark where you are. 
<laughs> the camera can barely even see my face. It's extra spooky on Zoom because I'm all blue from the computer light. You kind of look like Casper in the film, <laughs> like the 1995 film. <laughs> I would 100% be Casper as a ghost. I'd be like, hi, do you want to go have a dance? <laughs> Such a good film. To be fair, that film makes me cry like a mother bitch. So you know, every it's... film makes me cry like a mother bitch. <laughs> I can't watch Frozen without crying. I've seen it about a million times. <laughs> God, right? Okay. Jeez, right. Final tale then. Final tale. So, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, this final tale is not um, anyone's kind of personal reflection or story. This was written specifically for this podcast by Nell Wilson. So, bless her for doing it um, and for allowing me to share it. And um, the social media image for this episode is actually going to be a picture that was also created alongside this story by Luna from The Tombstone Tourists. So yeah, oh, cool. please check her out at um, The Tombstone Tourists 666 um, on Instagram. So yeah, this is Nell's story. And this is what's gonna wrap up our evening. Cool. There exists a house long forgotten with sagging walls and lonely dark hallways. And all alone in this house lives a little girl. The little girl's hair is dark, her eyes are tired, and her skin is white and black and blue. But she has never seen the face of her own reflection, for there are no windows in the haunted house, only many doors, some she cannot open, and some she dare not enter. Behind one such door lies the only mirror in the haunted house. But the little girl has never so much as glimpsed at it, as beyond this door resides a sea of darkness. Seeping from its cracks is the stench of what can only be described as sadness. Salty and stale, and there is an eerie quiet where not a creak or a howl of wind can be heard. The little girl was wise enough to stay clear of this dark and wounded part of the house. On the days when the winds blew particularly cold and the rain fell hard, the little girl felt another presence in the house, as if a ghost inhabited the very storm and pierced the veil of her windowless prison. She felt something strange but familiar, and suddenly the house did not seem so lonely, or the air so bitter. She remembered for a brief time in her lonely life. But if you ask me exactly how long the little girl had lived in this house, I could not tell you. Only that it seemed like she always had. She was so much in the bones of this place, its low sobbing breaths as the wind creaks through the cracks, and its tired, sloping walls that she felt in every part of herself. Sometimes when the storm passed, something else would come. These happenings would present themselves in different ways but always behind the door she could not open. The little girl would peer through the keyhole, and she was delighted by glimpses of another world beyond, a world she knew she was not a part of and to which she did not belong. On those days of stolen glances, what dreams would come, bringing such comfort and yet such great sadness. 
On one such stormy evening, the thunder cracked loudly in the empty halls of the haunted house. So loud, the little girl was sure the walls would crumble around her. The sound had startled her from her weary slumber, and she could feel a cold breath being breathed deep into her lungs, like the storm was the poltergeist of her soul possessing her. She felt herself drawn up from her bed and watched horrified as her thin hand reached for the door beyond her command. The thunder cracked loudly again, and the little girl felt the haunted house quake inside her. What she saw diminished even her most treasured dreams. Beyond the keyhole, the little girl saw a glorious bonfire, raging and burning with a growing intensity. She stared and stared until the amber glow filled her gaze and reflected all its ferocity into her grey, weary eyes. Transfixed, a voice came from within the flame. The voice beckoned to her and told the child that the key could be found behind the door she dare not enter. As the voice spoke, the fire raged on and the light became brighter and brighter until the girl could bear it no longer. She stumbled on her heels, shielding her eyes and fell backwards into the sloped wall of the corridor. All went quiet and the child was back in the bleak darkness of the haunted house. She clambered to her feet, filled with the desire to return to the illumination of the strange warm light. As she rose, the little girl knew her dreams could no longer sustain her, so with caution she turned towards the door she had grown to fear, the door to the room she dared not enter. Impassioned or not, the little girl could not deny the presence of this place, and so she carefully eased the door open into its vast darkness. The door let out a tired, drawn-out moan. The little girl's eyes tried to adjust as she hunted for any glimmer of the key the voice had spoken of, but she saw nothing. She stepped it further into the darkness driven by her longing, but as she did, the door quickly slammed behind her. Startled, she spun around to grasp at the handle and she grappled with all her might, but it was no use, the door was locked. The little girl slowly turned to face the darkness, but to her astonishment, she saw a mirror in the far end of the once seemingly empty room. Its pieces were shattered, yet it somehow seemed to glow with the light of the moon. When she reached the hallway, she saw the door which did not open was glowing with most magnificent amber light. She felt it pour into her and fill the cold empty night with warmth. The sky seemed to fall still, and she reached out to the door handle. A quick, sharp pain scalded her hand as she snatched it away. The door remained locked to her, but she was so enamoured by the strange light, so as she had done many nights before, she bent down and peered through the keyhole. No windows in the haunted house, so it puzzled the child as to the source of its light. This glow was not like the raging glow of the amber light, but in its own quiet beauty was disarming, so as much as the little girl could not resist being drawn to it, like an invisible thread existed between her and it. As she approached the mirror and gazed inside, a figure stared back at the child. Strange, but not stranger, because the face in the mirror was mine. For I am the haunted house, and she is the ghost inside. And like her haunted prison, memories have many doors. Some you cannot open, and some you dare not enter. Long corridors to travel, and in your journey, 
forgotten souls left behind. When you look in the mirror and feel the mask shift, do you not see the face of the ghost inside? And when nature touches your very soul and shakes you in your bones, do you not feel her breathe inside you? Lonely, but not alone. A changeling of your own body. A stranger to your own soul. Oh, I love that. That is absolutely stunning. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. That so, had me hooked. That was really atmospheric as well. Um, yeah, amazingly so. Um, and I think the perfect story actually to end on tonight. Definitely. So I'm gonna. Are you to ready honest, to join me in the darkness? <laughs> I, I am ready to join you in the darkness. I'm also gonna get the mirror open so I can have a look. <laughs> Here we go. Last candle. Well, just my reflection. <laughs> I was about to say, ah, a truly terrifying apparition. A queer is before me. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, my goodness. Um, happy Halloween, Lilius. <laughs> happy Halloween. That was spooky. I loved that. That was super spooky. Um, I have to thank everybody that um, contributed to tonight's podcast. Thank you so much for sending in your stories. Um, as I said, if your story was not read tonight, do not worry. I plan on using them at some point within the run of uh, this podcast series. Before we wrap up, I actually just want to—I just want to add a, a final thing. Um, so, something that I would like to do is I would like to start as part of this podcast something called the Grimoire Club, which. <laughs> At the end of the month, I would like to have a special episode that's dedicated to a horror novel that I am currently reading. Um, and so using that novel to kind of, I guess, dictate what theme we will be looking at for the episode. So I am currently reading um, Summerland, The Gospel of Noah, by the incredibly wonderful queer witch, Tony Sosa. Um, he's an amazingly talented author. And I have totally fallen in love with his book. Um, you can find him on Instagram at a devil speaks. So that's a devil speaks all together. So please check him out because he's an amazing author and this book has just come out and I really want to plug it for him because it's a fantastic text. And so yeah, I kind of thought that for the episode at the end of November, we could do an episode all about witches. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so. I'll be putting a call out on social media kind of near the time. So if you're listening tonight, I would like to hear from you. What aspect of witches or witchcraft do you think the episode should focus on? Should we look at representations of, of the witch in various forms of horror media? Should we look at maybe the relationship between witches and queer representation? Or should we maybe talk about people's personal witchcraft practices? I don't know. 
maybe have an episode all about hexes. Um, so yeah, if you're listening, please let me know. Let me know what you think, what kind of uh, witchy uh, thing you'd like to you know, hear from the podcast. And yeah, we will uh, dedicate that episode of the Grimoire Club to Summerland, the Gospel of Noah. Awesome. Uh, I have I have a question. Yes, go ahead. Can I please switch the light on now? It's very yes, dark. You, yes, you can. <laughs> you. I'm gonna go switch the light on and just like yay, bury was, myself a bit. There was a split second there when I switched it on that I was like, oh great, this is when it illuminates the massive monster behind me. Like <laughs> I know, like the Lovecraftian terror. Just, just like, switch it back me. off, actually. <laughs> That's a very Scooby-Doo. Oh, I don't like this. Back off lights. That's how I deal with most of my problems. I mean, to be fair, I feel like my life is bloody Scooby-Doo. So... <laughs> anyway, um, thank you so much for listening tonight. Um, this has been The Widdershin's Yard with me, Stevie, and... Be Lilius. And, uh, yeah, hope you have a wonderful Halloween, and uh, we will see you next time. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! (laughs) Bye! Bye! They're coming to get you, bye!